Welcome to the Robcast. If you dig this, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash robshow. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash robshowtv. And keep up to date with all things Rob Show on social, The Rob Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now for your listening pleasure, today's Robcast. Joining me on the phone, you've seen him on Mind of Mencia, The Heartbreak Kid, and more. Very funny comedian. Let's welcome to the show Carlos Mencia. How's it going, Carlos? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited to, to perform here. There are very few places where you can get the juxtaposition of uber rich, middle class, and and below middle class in the same room laughing at the same jokes. This is one of those places, so I really look forward to it. It kind of it kind of really um, puts me on my toes and makes me. You know, it solidifies to me that the stuff that I'm doing is truly funny because it's not just funny to one segment. It's funny to everybody. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a good array of people, a good mix, because it is. It's, you know, there's the white trash fishermen who make barely enough to pay for tickets, but they come out. And then you got the people from the country club who have a ton of money and they'll come out and they'll laugh maybe sometimes. I don't know. They're the older, richer audience in Southwest Florida can be very critical sometimes when you watch them at shows, but it's still fun nonetheless. You know what I find that you're right? It's a little harder to uh, to make really rich people, country club people laugh because, you know, they don't have that angst that the rest of us have, you know, that little part of us that annoys us about the world. But here's the thing. There's always somebody with a bigger yacht. You know what I mean? That's There's true. always somebody with a bigger house. And as soon as, like, as soon as you point that out, then then they kind of get, get on the same page. Look, everyday things annoy everybody, uh, and so that that's the beauty of it. But you're, you're right. It's much easier to make the guy from landscaping laugh than the guy who owns the golf course and then the guy who can afford whatever fee to play on that country club golf course. You're right. So it's very hard to make them all laugh at the same thing. Let me ask you a question, because, look, you started out late 80s, and, you know, you've paid your dues you've come a long way and i'm sure that there's you know i'm not i don't know what your bank account is but i'm sure that you've done well for yourself with comedy central specials and tv shows and appearing in movies is it difficult for you to make that switch from a guy who had nothing and was telling jokes about having nothing to then having something is it difficult is a material change at that point for you i think for some people it might for me it never has because my annoyance has always been with uh intellectual laziness so to speak you know with, with it, and and with the with the lack of common sense in the world, and that just it that doesn't matter, you know that 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 goes beyond any kind of income. So in, in that respect, no. But I, I like talking about things that are real, and you know, making them making them um, fun and funny for people to laugh at. But the, the, what the biggest difference I think is that today people are not just sensitive but want to complain. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, you know, it was like, oh, wow, whatever, let it go. You know, things happen. It's not that big of a deal. You know, today we got this, this society that wants to complain about everything. I mean, go on Yelp reviews and you'll see what I mean. You know, I was there for five minutes before the waiter came to say anything. It's like, wow, five minutes. Oh, my God. It's the end of the world. What are we going to do? You know, it's, it's that kind of thing where everybody thinks that their voice is important. Who cares about these people? But we give them relevance. And so they even complain more. I mean, people come to comedy clubs and get offended in a country that is 
that is right now fighting two wars to supposedly sustain freedom of speech. When you tell people freedom of speech, everybody's like, y'all, don't for freedom of speech, freedom of speech. But then when you say something that they don't agree with or they find offensive, all of a sudden, you know, they want you off the air. They want to get you to, to, to not work anymore. It, it's crazy. There was a congresswoman here in Florida from Miami, Frederica Wilson. I don't know if you saw the photo of her on social media, but she is the black uh, congresswoman that dresses like a cowboy. It's very weird if you see a photo of her. She's got pink cowboy hats on every time you see her. And we're not in Texas, man. It's Florida. And she, for whatever reason, right. but she said that uh, she wants people who are making fun of Congress. Congress. Not only are they a disgrace, but she wants them to be prosecuted. And that's a congresswoman who goes, oh, well, not only does she not like people making fun of other Congress people, but now we're going to prosecute those who do. That's crazy. First of all, I know exactly who you're talking about. And second of all, like you're going to dress the way you dress, be an African-American and think that nobody's going to make fun of you. I mean, come on, man. That would mean... It would be like me going on stage dressed as Aladdin and people and then, you know, telling people, Hey, don't 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 talk about my shoes. Like, come on, stop it. Uh, this is stop Carlos it. This is Carlos Mency. Let me ask you, Carlos, this day and age, so it's thirteen, what is it, twelve or thirteen years yeah. since Mind of Mencia has been off the air. You think that T V show would work today? Sadly it would work, but in a way that I wouldn't want it to. Um, I think I think that it would work in a divisive way. In in the sense that I think people that love it, loved it, would really, really dig in their heels, and people that hated it would create a polarization when it was never intended to be that. You know, it was always intended to just make fun of whatever whatever it is. Listen, some of the sketches were ahead of their time, believe it or not. You're talking about 13 years ago, whatever. I remember doing a sketch on the divisive nature of how the left and the right saw each other and how stupid it was that they saw each other the way it was. Because I remember... I remember, I think we, we took on abortion, you know what I mean? I think it was like people on the right think that people on the left want everybody to get an abortion and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was just, I remember doing it and it getting a good reaction, but not the reaction that I thought it was. And I think it was because it was, it was I, I was seeing into the future and people don't get it. But I think that a lot, you know, like I said, it, it would bum me out because, you know, the, there would be people that would vehemently hate it and try to get me off the air. And then the people that loved it would love it too much. And I just don't, I'm, I'm not into any of that stuff. America isn't like Naples because Naples is a little better. And what I mean by that is when hurricanes hit Florida, Naples is pretty much the first seat in the root bill because you're pretty much one of the richest ones. In all of America, but outside of here, you know, we, we still we survive, man. We're gonna be fine. Just relax. It's okay. We're gonna be good. Just laugh it up. Enjoy. But I literally have to tell people in the beginning of my show, don't take my show seriously. It's just comedy. I literally have to say that so that people kind of go, oh yeah, I forgot. I, I I'm, I'm not supposed to be offended. I either think it's funny or it's not. It's a fantastic show to watch. So I hosted for you and uh, Cisco. Cisco was the feature act, and you were the headliner, and it was at Bassani's Comedy Theater in Port Charlotte two or three years ago. And it was the first time that I I had the opportunity to see Carlos live, and it was like a three-hour show, and it was nonstop. There was no point where you know I felt outraged or was not laughing. You were laughing the entire time. The funniest thing, and i got to be honest with you, man, uh, because I was young at stand-up at the time. And I watched you take 
the mic stand. You took the mic stand and you were doing a joke about being on a rubber raft. And you sat down and you made every part of the stage part of the joke. The stool that you were sitting on was the rubber raft. You took the mic stand, put it behind you, and used it as the engine for the boat. And I went, holy shit, I've never, like, look, you know, you'll see people use the mic stand here or there, but I've never seen anybody incorporate it into the act like you did, where it became like you were acting out a scene, and I went, oh, that's how it's done. And that's the kind of stuff you'll see at a Carlos Mencia show is, I don't know if you're going to go three hours, (laughs) but it was so much fun to watch. And then, I believe we all hung out afterwards with the staff until like 2 a.m. drinking and then you guys had to get your way to Orlando. So you got in the car at like 3 a.m. and drove four hours to go to Orlando for your next gig, which brings up my question. Do you ever stop? Like, all I see is you on the road doing, and it's not just these dates. You're going to go from here to another city, and you'll be working again for another Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Do you ever get home? I mean, I get home a couple days a week, you know, here and there, um, most of the time. But no, I never stop. I mean, listen, I love what I do. I just love making people laugh. I love giving people perspective. I love, you know, making people see the world from a comedic and funny view instead of a serious view. You know, I, I, it's, it's like what you were, and I, I think that the joke that you were talking about was about people that, that, that swim here, that come here and Somali pirates. And, uh, you know, the whole point is, it's like, I love, 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 love giving people food so that they can laugh at life seriousness later on. And that just inspires me, man. And, and plus, by the way, making people laugh here and then going to Portland, Oregon, and then going to Maine, and then going to Chicago, I mean, being able to go to all those different places and make people laugh at the same stuff just solidifies to me how united America really is as opposed to this divided stupidity that, you know, look, people make money off of us being divided. I make money off of, off of making people laugh. And so I'm, I'm fighting the good fight. The difference is this. When I was young, I was like, I'm going to make a difference in the world. I'm going to change it. And now I'm just like, you know what? I'm just here to keep a little bit of balance. Man. But you have changed lives. Uh, for instance, the Brad Williams story. It fascinates me. Brad Williams, a comedian out of LA, goes to one of your shows. He's in the audience for a taping. You're making jokes for whatever reason. I don't know if they were directed at him or what happened, but he ends up coming on stage. You're impressed by how quick-witted he is, and then you end up taking that dude on tour to now where it's, you know, I don't know how many years later it is, but he's headlining across the country and going out there and doing it. And the whole reason that started, Carlos Mencia. So you have changed lives. Yeah. I mean, look, my, my, the, the, the names of the people that I brought in the world to open for me is just, I'm, I'm so proud of it, but I don't want to, you know, that's kind of name dropping at this point. But that's what you're also going to come and see. You're going to come and see the future, you know, Joe Coys of the world, the future Bobby Lee's, the future Brad Williams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, when you come and see me perform as well. Who is and, featuring uh, this weekend? I, I love that too. Cisco's right here. In the, he's right here next to me. Oh, very cool. Cisco, very, very funny guy. Uh, so he's featuring this weekend, and Carlos is headlining. That's why you need to go out, man. It's a fantastic show from start to finish. Your feature act and your headliner, both killers. Uh, Carlos, let me ask. So I have a ton of questions, but I, I really, I'm interested in when you started. 1980s, uh, you, you were going to school for electrical engineering. What did you want to do with an electrical engineering degree? So I'm a mathematician, and you've seen my act, so you, you know that very logical you know it's very much uh if this is logical and this is illogical then why is this the norm it's very rooted in very much rooted in the mathematic algorithm 
the hard part for me is how much emotion do I add or take away from this because I view it as a simple math equation, but then, you know, that, that emotional content comes into play. So I loved math from the beginning. When I was a kid, I was electrocuted. I shoved a, a butter knife into a, a socket. <laughs> wow. And yeah, so because of that trauma, I think I became an electrical engineer because I figured I'm never, I'm never going to allow that to happen to me again. So I went that route and uh, I discovered comedy when I was 19 years old. And what I loved about comedy as what I love about electricity is it's very black and white. You know, electricity is like you have a conduit or you don't have a conduit. You have a relay or you don't have a relay. You know what I mean? The power is going through something or it's not. It's, it's you, you either connect it or you don't. You either hook this up to a circuit to another or you don't. It's really very, very, very simple in that rudimentary way. I think that stand-up at its purest does the same exact thing. It is unbelievably complex to the outside world, but from us looking in, it's really easy. You know what I mean? Like, okay, Naples, right, is mathematically speaking, I find it interesting that I see the largest amount of older women with young, with young breasts, right? You could, this is the place where you can meet 60 to 70 year old women with five year old breasts. <laughs> this is the place. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the tourism and slogan so, for Naples is come see 70-year-old ladies with five-year-old titties. That, that's beautiful. And so to me, that is, is a simple map. Now, how hard do I go on them? You know, that's where it is. Okay, so that's funny to me, right? Older women, they got boob jobs. Now, how hard do I go into it? Is, is it a, do I celebrate it? Do I make fun of them? Well, what's, what's my angle on this? And that is where all of this comes into play for me. But like I said, the, the simplicity of that is, 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 you know, are 70-year-old women supposed to have five-year-old breasts? That's not normal. But is that good or bad? Now we get into, you know, how do I write the joke? How do I deliver the joke? What do I do with the joke? And uh, to, to me, it, it's, it's, all, it's all math, man. It's all algorithms. And, you know, I, I just love it. Listen to me, man. I get excited. I'm like a nerd. Dude, I'm like... I'm like a nerd at Comic-Con when you start putting numbers in my act, bro. <laughs> yeah. So you start out in the 80s. You're going to school for uh, electrical engineering, and you get started at the store, right? You start off at the comedy store. That's where you start working with Mitzi, and she tells you, she starts giving you career advice, right? She said to me, you can't be an angry Mexican named Ned. <laughs> Because Ned's your, your born name, that's your legal name, but that's not the name you go, like, have you always gone by Carlos, or was it at that point that you started going by Carlos? No, when I, I mean, I understood what she was saying, because I said to her, I go, well, I'm Mitzi, I'm from Honduras, I'm not Mexican. And there was a pause, and she went, yeah, well, you can't be an angry Mexican named Ned. <laughs> <laughs> so, I go, what do you mean? She's like, she basically said to me, like, everybody's going to assume you're Mexican. You, you're, you're, you live in Los Angeles, and your name is Carlos. You're Mexican. Accept that that's your lot here. Now, you know, this is 1988. At the time, she was 100% accurate. You know what I mean? Now, I'm, I'm sure had I grown up in Miami, she would have been like, you can't be an angry Cuban. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, what she led me to understand is your perception of yourself is not as important in comedy as everyone's perception of you. And that was a lesson that I learned later on in life the hard way what do you mean later because, on in life well i didn't understand i didn't understand that that meant in every way i'm a comedian i assume that everybody understands that my heart is in a good place because i want to make you laugh 
I never thought that the way I delivered a joke was going to be taken out of context, so to speak. So if I'm angry, right, on stage, but everybody's laughing, from my vantage point, I'm being funny. If I'm going off on somebody, but everybody's laughing, I'm being funny. What I didn't understand was to certain people, they're just going to say he's mad or he's angry or he's intense or whatever that is. That was a lesson that I, I I learned later on in life and the hard way. Did you, I know that you, you've been in therapy the last time that I, I booked you on a radio show up in Tampa and you were talking about being in therapy at that time. Did, did you start going into therapy yeah. at a later age or when did you actually start therapy? Cause you're very I introspective and it's, it's, it's great. To, and sorry to cut you off, but it's great to hear somebody be not only intro, uh, introspective, but insightful. Uh, you know, a lot of comedians go up there and try and make themselves laugh or they try and make their buddies in the back of the room laugh, but that's not the audience you're catering to. And that's you, you, what, I don't know what I'm trying to say that it doesn't always look, you're, no, I get what you're saying. Look, for me, it has to be a big part of who I am because if somebody's going to call me on something or be angry at me for a joke that I tell, I do have to be, I have to look in the mirror and look at them in the eye and say, well, I think that's funny or I think that's true or whatever it is. But here's what I don't understand. Um, me and Cisco were actually recently in New York, and we overheard a bunch of comedians, like a little huddle of comedians talking. And the premise of their conversation was, yeah, we're comedians, but we don't necessarily have to make people laugh. If we say something that's intelligent and poignant, that counts. And I, I literally gasped. I literally was like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> and Cisco yeah. kind of smacked me like, dude, shut up. And then they looked at me like, what? And I kind of had to say, guys, I'm sorry, man, but you guys are like clowns that hate makeup. (laughs) (laughs) Your job is to make people laugh. You're a comedian comedy. That's what you do. Who told you that it's okay not to be funny? Who said this? Like, what is, what is wrong with you? No, you, you do have to be, but you're not in control of people's perceptions. So what that's made me understand is, I don't have to come uber hard over the top to make something funny. I don't have to soften it up either. But what I can do is understand that if I want to make as many people laugh as possible, there is a way for me to tell that joke and have it not be abrasive in nature. What do you guys do when you're in town, man? Because what do you do the rest of the day? I mean, you did some press. I'm assuming you did press this morning. You're doing this now. You got the shows tonight. But then tomorrow, you don't got to be back at the club till 6. What does Carlos Mencia do when he's on the road but not doing shows? Okay, so I was in Oregon with my wife's family yesterday. I left the house at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Drove to the nearest city, which is Eugene. Caught a flight to Los Angeles. Was there for a couple hours. Caught a flight to Miami. Landed in Miami at 5.30 in the morning. Rented a car, drove over, did some press in the morning. Then I had kind of a couple hours to relax. So I slept for like two, two and a half hours. Woke up, I'm on the phone with you, have two shows. And after this, a really good buddy of ours invited us to a cool party in Miami. So after the second show, I'm going to drive to Miami. And at that point, I have no, I, I cannot tell you what's going to happen, bro, because Miami is like a, Miami is like a black hole. It sucks you in, but nobody ever tells you what's on the other side of that black hole. That's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what Miami is, because if it's an amazing time, you don't want to tell anybody because it usually involves illegal stuff. 
And if it's not an amazing time, you don't want anybody to know because it's a bad, horrible story to tell. <laughs> so it's one of those things where like, you know, hey, what happened in Miami? Uh, you know, Miami is one of those places where when you go and party, you can literally explain your night by saying it's Miami and everybody gets it. <laughs> Dude, what happened last night? We went to Miami. Well, what happened in Miami? Dude, you know Miami. Everybody goes, yeah, bro. <laughs> Let me ask you. So I, it sounds like you enjoy time on the road, which, you know, you hear a lot of comics bitch and they go, oh, I got, I'll sit in the hotel room when I'm not doing shows. And I never understood that because if you're out and you're already going to be in the city, why not go learn about it and do it? But it sounds like you enjoy being out on the road. What's your favorite place to travel to? My favorite place to travel, it might be Vegas or Miami just because, I, you know, I'm a night person and it never, it, you know, I can go to sleep at eight o'clock in the morning and, and I don't feel, you know, I don't feel like a creepy old man. So I love that. But as far as performing is concerned, I think my favorite city to perform in is Washington, D.C. But it's only because everybody in D.C. works in D.C. So they have to know everything that's going on in the country and the world. And I like being able to talk about all of that kind of stuff without having to explain it or without having to pause and say, oh, you know what it is, or hey, da-da-da. It's really cool to every once in a while be in a place where I can remove a lot of the emotion of my jokes because the substance of them, they, they understand it because they live it on a daily basis. But as far as, as far as just hanging out, I think all of South Florida, whether east or west, is probably, you know, anywhere between here, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach are probably some of my favorite places to perform. You know, like I said, it's, it's the juxtaposition of all of these different cultures. And I mean, Naples is, you know, is, is like this crazy oasis and you drive 20 minutes in every direction and it gets redneck like a son of a bitch. It's amazing. Yes, it is. It's amazing. Literally, it is. 20 minutes, you go east, 20 minutes from Naples, and it's all banjos and hillbillies, man. It's it's crazy. But uh, but I love I love that, man. You know, I love it because at the end of the day, you know, it's funny. You end up talking to those people, and here's what it is. When I end up hanging out with those type of people, I end up going, wow, most hillbillies, I guess, but not you. And then they end up going, wow, most Californians, but not you. And it, it's kind of like everybody breaks the mold, you know, and then you meet, and then you meet the idiots, of course. That you go, oh, you're why the stereotype exists. Um, <laughs> so you meet those people as well. But but it's but it's awesome. Listen, I have the ability to connect with humanity on a human level, and through my comedy, I break down those barriers because when people are laughing, they're they're just uninhibited, and those walls are down. During the day, what I try to do is connect with the people, connect with you know what's going on and where they're feeling and how they are, and then it it, it allows me to figure out a way to get inside their heads and in their hearts so that I can make them laugh. Carlos, if you had any advice to give up-and-coming comics, because I got a lot of guys that listen to this, uh, they'll listen, I'm going to podcast this and I'll play clips on the radio, but a lot of guys go and listen that do stand-up in this area because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of places to go do stand-up. There's two main clubs here in town, and outside of that, I mean, you got to travel to Miami or Tampa to go to the big cities for, for real work. Um, what advice would you give up-and-coming guys who are, you know, a couple years into comedy, knowing what you know and having done it for 20 years, uh, what advice would you give somebody, or 30 years at this point, right? It's 2018. You started in 80. It's going to be 31 years. 31 years. What would, What's the best piece of advice you've gotten as a stand-up, and what advice would you give to a stand-up? The best advice I got as a stand-up was Louie Anderson, who told me, 
you're going to be big in comedy based on what you don't do more than based on what you do. I uh, kind of didn't understand what he meant by that, but what he meant was, um, you know, I want to talk about everything and anything in the world. But, you know, sometimes not saying something or letting something go or, you know, not going hard on somebody is, is the better part of doing what I do and not jumping on any opportunity that comes my way just because it's like, hey, we're going to put you on a TV show. You're the gardener. Yeah, you're the gardener. Yeah, you're the thief. Yeah, you're the rapist. Yeah, you're the rapist. Yeah, you're the, you know, you have to find a better way to do that. So that was the best advice I personally ever received. As far as giving advice, get on stage as much as you possibly can because nobody can teach you what you learn when you eat it, when you write a great joke, when you write a great tag, when you create a great premise. When you have a great premise, but you don't know how to execute it, and then one day you do, when to talk to the audience, when not to talk to the audience, how to talk to the audience, what's the balance of it, all of that stuff. I can tell you. I, I can sit there and break it down for you in one night. We can sit there for six hours, and I'll tell you. But, you know, that night you're going to go and make the same mistake, you know, every other comic makes. So as far as that's concerned, I can't teach you how to be you. You can only learn that by going on stage. So if you want to call yourself a comedian, you need to get on stage at, you know, God, when I was a young comic, I would get on stage on average, on average, four times a night. The most I ever did was eight shows in one night. Wow. So you just keep getting on and getting on and learning and learning and learning, you know, t telling the same joke, you know, 50 times in a row and then changing a word or changing the syntax or changing, you know, it, it's, it's trying to figure all that out until inevitably you come up with your own formula, you know. You come up with your own get her done, or <laughs> why would you do that, or dee -dee -dee, or you know what I mean. Whatever that is, you find that on stage, and usually, by the way, you trip on it as a comedian. You know, I'm sure, I don't think get her done was something that he said is going to be a catchphrase, or you might be a redneck if, or you know what I mean. Whatever those are, you usually just kind of fall into it, and and then people kind of gravitate toward it, and you go, wait a minute, like. I'm sure that the majority of comedians who are known for specific things or tags that they say on stage are probably embarrassed of those because it was the least complicated joke we ever wrote. Get her done. Yeah. It's not complicated. No. It was just him saying, like, <laughs> it was a filler. Yeah. Oh, get her done. Let's get it done. Right. I'm sure that he wrote other stuff that was way more complex that he's, you know. Yeah, but get her done. You might be a redneck here. Yeah, get her done's what's sure on mud flaps and t-shirts. You're right. Yeah, because it isn't, it's not the thing that they spent, you know, weeks writing and testing and trying out. It was just a throwaway that they said, and all of a sudden now it's, that's what they're known for, man. Get her done. Uh, you might be a redneck. Here's your sign. Yeah, ETD. ETD is just done to the third power. You know what I mean? Who would have thought? Here's your <laughs> sign. Who would have thought that that's it? Um, look. There are so many other jokes, and I'm so proud of that. I go, no, listen, it was ahead of its time. It was about immigration, and it was contrived, and it was funny, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, what did somebody walk away with? Hey, Carlos. Doo -doo -doo. Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> that's where we are, bro? You know what I mean? Oh, uh, that's got to be, it's, yeah, that is frustrating, man. Oh, it's funny. Yeah, it can be if, if you just, if you, you know, if you take it to heart and, you and you know, you want to fight it. I don't fight it. You know, I go, cool, man, that's what you took. Good, good for you, man. When did you stop taking things to heart? Because I know, like, look, it's <laughs> stand-up toughens your skin. And you're, look, there's been plenty of controversy when it comes to comedy with everybody. But, I mean, you've been, you've been hit by several different angles where it's, you know, it almost feels like even though they're not personal shots 
at who you are as a person and maybe it's as a comedian or what you're doing, it feels like shots at you because that is you. You're you're you on stage. That is the thoughts that come into your head, the jokes that you've written and the experiences that you've had. That's you on stage. And it's I mean, it's got to be when you're on TV, everybody's stabbing for you. Everybody wants to get to the guy at the top because and you were at the top for several years. You were running Comedy Central was based around you for three or four years. Is it difficult? Yeah. And like, when do you start letting go of that stuff when people are taking jabs at you? Well, um, for me, it was therapy, man. It, it, you know, it was, I mean, I understood what projection was. I knew, I knew all that, but you know, thinking something and knowing, knowing something is different than, you know, you feeling it. I mean, I, I liken it to, you have a girlfriend and, you know, she does something that annoys you, but you know, she loves you. Even though, you know, it still takes a long time for it not to bother you. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with stand-up and with getting, with getting hate. Um, you, you know that it's them. You know that they don't know you. You, I, you know, look, I, when somebody on the internet says, I hate you, I, I understood that they couldn't. You can't hate me. You don't know me. Yeah. You have to know me in order to hate me. That's impossible for you to feel this way. This has something to do with some other thing in your life and you're projecting it onto me and blah, blah, blah. You know, intellectually, I can, I could have, un- I couldn't understand that, but you know, my heart wanted to go, why do you hate me? Do do? <laughs> you know, it, it takes a long time to, 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 get, to not just get over that, but for your heart not to be affected by it. Are you happy? Your soul not to feel a pinch. Are you happier being out on the road now and doing it? Because, I mean, look, I, even when you were on doing the TV show and stuff, you were out doing tours and you were doing in the Red Rocks Amphitheater, all kinds of cool shows. But it's so impersonal. It's still comedy, but it's you, you, you lose that club aspect. Do you enjoy now? Are you happier now being in these clubs where you're able to connect in theaters where it's, you know, it's not a couple of hundred thousand people, but you're talking to a couple of hundreds, a couple of thousands at one time? There's more of a connection there than when you're on stage at a huge amphitheater. Here's what it is. A couple of things happened at the same time after my name and Tia. One of them was I stopped having regular people interactions with human beings and they all started to become, look, I love what Kathy Griffin does and, and in no way, shape or form am I putting it down. I'm, I'm really not. I just don't want to be the comedian that goes up on stage and, you know, has 20 different stories about how I met the guys from One Republic and how they acted and how Justin Bieber, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's just not... My connection to humanity, my connection to humanity is, is through me being a regular person and seeing the world from that vantage point. So one of the things that happened was, you know, I started not understanding regular people. You know what I mean? I started not getting what, the, what that was about. So that was one of them. Then all the hate that I got was one of them. So all those things converged at a time where I went, you know what? I want to, I'm, I'm an artist. And in order for me to do what I do well, I have to be the average, everyday, regular person. And so the only way for me to do that is to go out on the road and, you know, kind of get get to that place. And so I started doing therapy. I found, you know, I found my inner compass. I'm at peace with what's going on around me. You know, I'm the eye of the storm. I'm not stuck in the windy part anymore. And now I'm able to, um, I can literally perform in front of 200, you know, like the club where we performed at a couple hundred people and then the next day literally do 18,000 seats and there is no skip there is no beat it just flows from one to the other and there's no sense of wow this is so many people it's crazy or wow this is so few people it's crazy 
it's just two different performances for two different groups of people. So I've never been better. My point of view has never been more concise. My jokes have never been crisper. But I pretty much say that every time you meet me because I've learned or I've grown a little bit more. And so the day I feel like I have nothing else to learn in stand-up or that I have a perfect set, I'll stop doing stand-up. That day has not come 31 years in. I got to be honest, man. When I watched you at Visani's three years ago, it felt like the perfect set. Setups were funny. Punchlines were funny. Tags were funny. The entire performance was, from start to finish, hilarious. And you can see that all weekend long, Off the Hook Comedy Club, offthehookcomedy.com for tickets. Carlos, man, I really enjoyed talking to you. I got to be honest. You you talk to a lot of messed up individuals who do comedy. There's a lot of people out there that got demons. And you see, I don't know, you see the darker side doing it on the radio because you hear the bad stories. But to hear such positivity come from somebody who, look, you've you've gone through a lot over the past 12, 13 years since Mind and Sia first went on the air. And uh, even before that, I mean, you grew up away from your parents. Your parents were in Honduras and they sent you to America to grow up here. You've gone through things that no other person can say they've gone through or a lot of people can't say that they've gone through. And yet listen to how positive it sounds dumb. You're like the Tony Robbins of stand-up comedy. You're inspirational and funny, man. I, I really enjoy talking to you because it sounds dumb, but I feel like I've learned things from this interview, and, and I really appreciate that you gave me some of your insight and your time. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, man. And uh, back at you. And, you know, hopefully I'll see you uh, later on this year when I end up up, up in the sun again. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. This is Carlos Mencia. I appreciate your time, brother. No problem. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Have a good set tonight. Thank you, brother. See Thanks for checking out the Robcast. If you dug this, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash robshow. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash robshowtv. And keep up to date with all things Rob Show on social, the Rob Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 